Welcome to Write Good, the podcast that helps you write good. I'm R.S. Benedict, the most dangerous woman in speculative fiction. If you are into science fiction and fantasy, you might have heard of something called Hope Punk. Hope Punk, according to its supporters, is a creative movement that believes that producing and consuming optimistic fiction will make the world a better place. But does Hope Punk really offer meaningful hope and revolution? Or is it just a way to numb yourself and hide from the world? Joining us for this episode is our audio gremlin, Sid Oosley. Hey, how's, how's everybody doing? Let's have some good times. Making fun of these dorks. You coined a term called cope punk instead of hope punk. Do you want to explain the term? It's obviously a coping mechanism, but a lot of the people who make hope punk, I haven't seen that many people who are precarious making that kind of argument. A lot of these people are like in some position of comfort and it's like, I don't want to be like playing comparative suffering or anything, but it's like, I, I don't know. Something about these guys, they're coping with not much, but it's just like a really weird set of, it's a very bizarre phenomenon where it's like clearly a coping mechanism for something. Right. Or like Maddie says, they're just pissy about game of thrones existing and taking up as much space as it did yeah there there's part of that i do think part of it and a hell of a lot of the discourse in sff that was that was harley it's just people who are really mad that george R. R. martin's books got real big and theirs haven't and that's it like sorry he people like the titties and murder and dragon show people really like it i, I don't know what to tell you it's something people enjoy yeah titties and dragons have been a part of fantasy the entire time if you go back and look at any like old magazine covers from back in the day it's like titty titty dragon booty titty chick tied to a rock some kind of octopus also super super jacked dudes in little loincloths though so there is that a little bit of man service in there for everybody else like keeping it relatively even-handed yeah for back in the day like that's that's progressive for the time a lot of people forget that yeah <laughs> right right so, and, and the term cope, it's become kind of internet slang in terms of, it's about sort of coping with life by replacing the real world with a kind of delusion. Like instead of accepting the real world, you, you're coping. Like an example of cope would be Trump supporters' response to the election of like, no, it didn't really happen. It didn't, it, it was fake. It was stolen. Like, no, you lost, dude. Cope. Yeah, like, like people drawing pictures of Pepe doing something called copium. Right. <laughs> Just snorting copium or something. It's actually like it's 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 not unique to the moment of now. Even there was a whole uh, in Japan, like back in the day when the emperor mattered, it, way before like the restoration. These dudes in the palace were just drawing art and looking at it all day, and that's how the shogun it took over because it's, it's like a bunch of hope punks were in charge. So like a bunch <laughs> of jocks just said "fuck you," we're taking over, and that happened for and then that's how that's how Tokugawa shogun it came in. That was a thing. <laughs> okay. It's very laconic and wrong summary, but that's 
kind of more or less what happened. So it sounds like you have a very special, uh, sharp feeling about about the movement, which is at first a little surprising because between the two of us, your fiction is a heck of a whole lot more optimistic. Like your your good guys usually win. Your good guys usually beat the shit out of the bad guy and then make out with a, a ch- cute chunky girl, and that's not mine. So for you, like, why are you not fond of this? It, it it's seems at least at first a little bit surprising to me. So the important part of the thing where that makes beating up the bad guy and then making out with the the chunky girl rewarding is the middle parts with the conflict and the strife that you have to overcome. Mm. Without the parts of storytelling that are like friction, this turns into one of those 1980s toy commercial cartoons Mm. where nothing happens. It's like watching an old vintage strawberry shortcake. (laughs) If you've ever done that, it's... Hard to endure. Yeah. It's a little a little much. Right, right. Now, one of the things that Hope Punk uh, people like to say is that, well, escapism is good and healthy, and we're going through some real shit right now just as a society, and what's wrong with escapism? Um, escapism is good. Jailers hate escape is a quote that's very frequently tossed around. I, I haven't heard that one. That one's new, but... Yeah, yeah. Jailers hate escapism. Um, I God, I can't remember what the source is, but it's one of those stock quotes out of context that they love to stick in in you know a JPEG of the quote in the middle of arguments a lot. So what's wrong with escapism exactly in media? It's not even that escapism runs wrong. It's that literally any piece of media, by consuming it, you are escaping from whatever else you were doing usually. Unless you, like me yesterday, where you're cleaning while listening to a bunch of like terrific Tariq videos. Mm-hmm. Learned a lot about Little Lulu. It was actually pretty great. Like, you're usually not doing other stuff, so it all works as escapism. Right. So the question becomes, escape from what, for me? Mm. This is why chuds get mad at diversity in media, because they're using it to escape from gay people existing. So when there's, like, a gay guy in their robot cartoon, it's like, fuck, man, you're, 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 you're cutting that dish soap into my, into my cocaine. What, what's, like, that's how they feel. <laughs> like you're ruining it for them like the coat punks are like that with conflict mm. like characters disagreeing it's like which is sort of the essence of a story right not always but a little bit like even stuff that's a mood mostly like 1984 is kind of gothic in a lot of ways there's a very large conflict baked into every little bit of that right and it wouldn't work without that so yeah i I guess you could say we're all escaping from something when we're reading fiction because it's not real so i get maybe a follow-up question would be what are we escaping from when we're reading depressing stuff when we're reading like game of thrones or when we're reading stephen king or when we're reading shirley jackson i think it's like the expectation to not talk about it Mm. like you don't have to put a hat like you don't have to pretend that you're okay yeah. Like the injuries hurt and people acknowledge it instead of telling you to stop bleeding all over the floor. And for Shirley Jackson, a lot of her stories for me, they give me the escapism as a woman of just like letting it all hang out and letting all of your like craziness and anxiety and fury and frustration just fucking go. Like, and we have always lived in the castle. I'm going to spoil the ending a little bit, but but I mean, the escape is just like, fuck you, society. They just kind of escape from having to just be a functional member of society and, and just having to be any kind of like normal or good. And I, I find that very cathartic and very attractive. And even though it's obviously not a, a great idea and it's kind of bonkers at the end of it. 
Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I think to some degree when police get nutty in, like, police fiction, it's a little bit, like, in a way that demonstrates, like, escapism has limits. Where they're just fantasizing about, like, a police state, more or less. Right. That'll get rid of, like, the sickos. Right, right. Like, that, it works like that, and then people bring it into reality, and yeah. There's a lot of ways to pick this apart, but yeah, that's one of them. And one thing I'm going to point out, as a follow-up to jailers hate escapism, well... Escapism isn't the same thing as actual escape. Like, jailers don't like it when you actually escape, but escapism, if you just, like, read a book, I think they're usually okay with that generally. They have little, like, movie nights and shit. Uh, a little bit? <laughs> a little. Like, I've, I've been not, like, incarcerated, incarcerated, but I have been in brain jail. They made us watch some dumbass movies. Oh, God. Uh, in, in brain jail. Like, the one of the worst movies I've ever seen, this movie Freedom Writers. Oh, God. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah, with Hilary Swank. Yeah, it's so bad. It's so goddamn bad. Like, the white savory teacher thing, but right. even more. Like, none of the parts that make those fun. Right. Lady kind of needs to stick to more drama-y dramas a little bit. I don't know if it's the material or her, mm. but uh, it's just so bad. Yeah. And, and, like, imagine watching that in, like, the adolescent psych ward. Yeah, oh god. It's so bad that, like, compared to where you are, those kids get to go home at the end of the day. <laughs> so you're like, aw, man, they get to go home? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're yearning for that in in brain jail. It's like, ah, Right. I hate to bring that up every episode I'm on, it just comes up. No, it's okay, it's fine, don't worry about it. But about escapism, I, I really can't stress enough just off the bat that feelings aren't enough. To change people's material reality and its material reality that you kind of need for any kind of revolution. Like, art can be powerful maybe in that it can inspire people to do stuff, but if it doesn't do that, if it just sits there as escapist entertainment, then then what is it? And I, I think history actually shows that escapist entertainment, that easy access to entertainment is counter-revolutionary in a huge way. So a long time ago, before the rise of home entertainment products like radios and phonographs, if you were a regular old working class person, if you were a regular working person, this is like in the late 1800s, early 1900s, one place that you could go... Back in steampunk times. Right, steampunk time. But one place that you could go for to just spend some leisure time was the Union Hall. If, if you were a worker, you were probably in a union, and you would go to a union hall to find a sense of community, and maybe you'd hang out, have some fun, play some games, but also you would be sort of rallying with people who share your material interests and your material desires and your material conditions, and you might be also in, in the background of smoking cigarettes and goofing off listening to a fiery anarchist or a wobbly or a socialist talk about throwing Molotov cocktails at cops, you're getting, you're getting radicalized, you're talking about actual revolution, and you're identifying with other working class people who have something in common with you. But then after radios, after phonographs, it became a lot easier to sort of get your entertainment at home through these devices. And instead of basing your bond on this community of workers, of people who share material conditions and material interests, you're basing your bonds with others on the consumer goods you buy. You're basing your bonds with others based on the type of entertainment media you consume. And that's not 
terribly revolutionary, I'm going to say. Them old Wobblies had some bops. Like, if you've ever heard any of them, they're really fun. Yeah. Like, those are some, like, you don't need to know how to sing to sing them even. Like, so they got, they're like, oh, yeah, it's some of the stuff that's like proto-punk in a way. Yeah, I was kind of hoping that after the sea shanty trend, we'd have like an old Union song trend coming back because some of those were pretty good. Whenever I get that book, if I if I can get that thing published, like it'll hopefully bring some of that back just by proximity. Yeah, they're good stuff. I gotta finish that thing though. So merely consuming entertainment isn't enough to change people's material realities, I'm sorry. Or change their minds that much even. Honestly, yeah. Like how many people like watching kind of subversive leftist media and just miss the fucking point? Like how many conservatives end up really liking Star Trek? Like a lot. I don't even think it's left wing, like personally. I just don't. Like it's it's got honestly a lot of the same hallmarks as what the Hope Punk people talk about where they've decided that conflict is reactionary or something. So it's like Star Trek is a fucking coffee shop AU. <laughs> that's that's just what it is. Oh shit. Like occasionally interrupted by a working class person dying. <laughs> that that's the two modes it has. Or the best part where you, you're fucking a hot girl from outer space. That's valid. The rest of it I can go without. Right. Right. Have sex with aliens, kids. It's good for you. Make out with a with a pretty green girl. Just go for it, dude. Yeah, we gotta get some new STDs in that pool. Oh, God. So exciting. Maybe we'll get superpowers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of our issue, I think, aesthetically with Hope Punk as a movement. Like, it takes away, kind of takes away the hard stuff, and it promises you, like, and then they all lived happily ever after, but it doesn't really give you a blueprint of, like, how to get there. And when it does offer solutions, they fall flat. It doesn't deal with the fact that it's going to be, it. an actual revolution is going to be like a violent, brutal, ugly thing. It's not going to be nice. Like, the end of the Goblin Emperor. You should prepare people for doing it. Yeah, you really do. You got to prepare people for the reality that, like, shit's going to be hard. You can make it look fun. That's more responsible. Like, oh, yeah, no, like, the guillotine, it'll be fun. You can put some stickers on it. Right. Right. I'm thinking of that really famous, like, hope punk book, The Goblin Emperor. Oh, God. Which is basically like Obama as a goblin, the happy ending where everything's solved somehow as he builds a bridge connecting the lands of two people who want to kill each other. And that's seen of as, like, a solution. But, like, how the fuck is that a solution? They're immediately going to try to kill each other. Like, he's enabling them is what it is. How does that? Yeah. But it's, it's got the same idea about how things work as those sort of truth books. Like, there's one of those that has uh, the the objectivist, like, Gary Stu character guy, Richard What's-His-Face. I, 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 I don't remember anything about those besides that there's chickens that, that are powerful and, and wicked. <laughs> but there's this one where at the end, he defeats communism by making a statue that is so symbolically powerful mm. that it destroys the communism. Oh my god. And it's the same fucking thing, but for like being a for being a Dracula, basically. Right. Like, you know, being a capitalist Dracula, like that that kind of ideology. Because that's what objectivism is, basically. It's things sort of work out. Like it's like opposite day Marxism kinda. <laughs> where it's like the same shit but in reverse. Where like all the good guys are bad and the bad guys it's Earth three Marxism. Mm. That's I'm a dweeb. Sorry for that comparison. Got that in got that crime syndicate going. Yeah. 
with like Owl Man yeah. and whatnot. Right. But in general, I find like a lot of these hope punk happy endings, they feel really toothless. Like the good guys win way too easily. The system is always, the system always kind of works. Like they never have to tear down the system. They just have to replace the bad person in the system with one with their person in the system. And it's so easy and it just sets people up for disappointment. Yeah. But like, what about all the guys who were carrying agenda? Are they also gone? They don't even get into that. Like these guys don't want to get rid of ice for some reason. Right. Which is weird. And it's like, dude, really? Are you fucking serious? Like, really, guy? Yeah. Really? They're so conflict averse. Yeah, it's like everything can work out in the same system that brought it to this. Like, I keep thinking of Trigger or whatever his name is from No Country from Old Men, which is... Ah, I gotta read that. If the rule that you follow led you to this, of what good was the rule? That is a question I like to ask people. It's a really fucking great line. Like, of what good was the rule? Of what good was the rule? If the system that led you to this, what good is the system? I don't know. I mean, fucking Harry Potter, the ultimate Bible of the Hope Punks, like, he becomes a cop. He joins the- he- everything is still the same. They still have, like, weird ghoul- Torture prison, that's fine. It it was demonstrated that that was flawed because innocent people went there. Nothing's really fundamentally changed. Full of monsters who betrayed them the minute that a meaner guy could have been in charge. We're a bunch of, like, happiness-eating monsters. Yeah. And we're gonna side with the bad guys. And you didn't fire us afterwards, so we'll do it again. Like, the Dementors are just gonna come back. And you know how to kill them, too, and you didn't do it. Come on, man. Yeah. It's like the one magic monster who's actually bad in that universe. But we're going to go bully some centaurs again, I guess. Hope punk heroes are never as radical as, as the real heroes, if you want to call them heroes. I know it's kind of faulty to call any real person a hero. Like, they were never as radical. They were always a lot more, like, moderate. Like, the real... The people who actually got us labor rights were the Wobblies who rioted in the streets. Yeah, they got arrested for wearing... For being naked in public. Suffragettes... Didn't just march. They they suffragettes threw bricks at cops. Okay, there was a famous suffragette, Edith Garud, who learned jujitsu and taught other suffragettes ju- the art of jujitsu so that they could karate chop cops who tried to arrest them. That is so cool. It's cool. It's cooler than nice and polite. They they got karate chicks. Like it wasn't a nice polite movement. That's like Joss Whedon's fetish right there. Yeah, yeah, they had like cool martial arts girls just like... You'd think that someone would use it by now. Just wrecking police officers. Like how fucking awesome is that? Or Yeah, shoes are... He, shoes are like... they're they're. Uh, he'll find some ideological reason that... Except they're wearing shoes, so you know, Joss is not down with that. It's like they're a prison for, for like women's natural form or something. According to him. Right. High heels are so bad for your spine. It's much healthier to be barefoot if you're a woman, especially if you're standing on me. If you're standing on the face of, of me, then that's, you know, soft ground. And it, and it's me literally supporting women. I'm very woke. Yeah, he's he's got a rock hard social conscience right there. Just. <laughs> I'm a good feminist ally. <laughs> right. Right. Like, we've really defanged so many of the social movements that brought us the social justice that we have. The LGBTQ rights movement that started with a fucking riot in the streets. It started with a kick line of Greenwich girls kicking cops. It started with a trans woman allegedly like a hurling a brick. Oh, damn. At, at policemen as a butch Puerto Rican lesbian headbutted the cops who were trying to arrest her. I wonder if we got the civil rights because the cops aren't that good at fighting. That might be like half of it. Yeah, yeah. 
really fucking cool. That's why they that's like even with weapons. Yeah. Pretty much, like, yeah, like, they ended up having to call in the National Guard because just the the rioters overwhelmed the police. The police couldn't get them down. See, this is the problem with making all the cops C students. Like, they got C's in gym class, too, man. Plus, the cops, like, really weren't expecting a really big resistance because it usually didn't didn't go that way. But it, it was just that fucking day the people of Stonewall just had enough. Man, they just fucking had enough. And they really, really put up a fight. Or, or the civil rights movement. Like, people talk about the civil rights movement like it was completely, like, placid and, and polite. Like, they never blocked traffic. They just, like, are you kidding? The fucking Black Panthers patrolled with massive guns. Looking like 90s comic book characters. Looking like some Todd McFarlane drawings over there. And it was cool. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they patrolled with huge fucking rifles slung across their backs while providing uh, poor children with free breakfast and doing medical research on sickle cell anemia. So, good for them. <laughs> did you oh, did you know that like the cops pissed on that food so they couldn't give it to people back in the day? Cuz that was what they could they're like that's like that's all they came up with. It's like, I guess we can pee on it. I I didn't, but but that does not surprise me at all. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's all they got. Because they don't they don't want them to feed kids, but they it's not technically illegal to do that. So yeah. Hmm. Or the worst somehow. But yeah, you find that in so much hope punk literature, the the radicals are usually like bad or misinformed and sort of need to be guided by some, you know, professional middle-class moderate person. Their their intentions are good. Like, everybody has to have a Professor X just, like, taking all of the energy out. And moderating them, calming them down. Going, I agree with your... Me- I agree with your beliefs, but your methods are... too brash and too violent. You should use peaceful methods that don't work. Yeah, like, that's the... Th- even with mind control, he isn't uh, winning. That should tell you something. <laughs> it's the subtext of every single one. Yeah. Yeah, he has fucking Cerebro. He has, like, the mind oh, control everything in the world device, and he just doesn't use it. Like, dude, you could just... Yeah, no. Nah, you could... Oh, you, I don't know. Cerebro's I weird. I don't know. I know. I don't know why he doesn't just put Robert Kelly in the fucking danger room. It does what the writers wanted to on that day, I guess. Like, that that guy's an out-of-shape Massachusetts Republican. He will die. Yeah. Just chopped in half by, like, a saw blade on a robot tentacle. (laughs) Just problem solved. But yeah, I I know it sounds like we're being too harsh on this, like, perfectly innocent little little genre, but... I think we need to talk about the next part of why you and I have this uh, contempt, I guess, for Hope Punk, which is the behavior of prominent Hope Punk writers, which is absolutely vicious and cruel and judgmental and censorious to anyone who writes anything grim or unpleasant. Every single fucking person who was trying to get Isabel Fall's story taken down was a fucking Hope Punk person, okay? Oh, shit, yeah, they were like, just jerks. Just really brutal because the story gave them unpleasant feelings and the story questioned the value of queer assimilation. And it was genuinely revol- it was genuinely a radical story and that was too much. There wasn't a happy ending. There wasn't a happy little conflict-free solution. How dare anybody leave anything open 
It's a lot of really, like, honestly, their attitudes towards fiction are extremely, like, they're so reactionary that they're fucking Aesop. And it's, they don't, and they have no idea. And that they don't notice is some of why, like, they just don't even realize when they're being mean. Right. Like, a lot of it is just, look, if it was purely about, like, hey, I like happy stories, I wouldn't give a shit. Have fun. Read your happy stories. Write your happy stories. Have a great time. That's awesome. But the issue is that so many of these folks get really vicious toward those of us who don't make that. And incredibly judgmental. Like, I I think a lot of the problem, you can kind of see it in uh, Alex Rollins' original What is Hope Punk essay, where they refer to writing a Hope Punk story as an act of kindness. Well, if writing a cheerful story is an act of kindness, does that mean that writing a a depressing story is an act of cruelty? Like, it's kind of... You're, you're kind of having this implication where it's like, a story made me sad, the person who wrote it is a bad person, the person who wrote it is cruel. And that's a really fucked up attitude toward art. It's a really fucked up attitude toward other artists to say, like, because the story hurt my feelings, it's immoral. Yeah, no, I don't even think that's kind of, that, that they're sort of implying it. They fucking say that all the time. That's They are not making that subtext. It's just... Oh no, I lost my brain for a minute. Um, there's this thing of a combination of that there's a viciousness towards patrolling the boundaries of taste and a complete, it has to be intentional, unawareness of their own cruelty in how they do it. They have they do not even think for a second yeah. that they might be doing, like they'll call somebody, they'll walk right up to calling someone a bunch of racial slurs and then not think about it. Like you remember what happened when they got on you. You were there. Oh, I do. I do. Yeah. And and I, I know I, I always return to what happened to Isabel Fall, but I feel like it's emblematic of so many of the problems in the current sci-fi fantasy community. And I mean, while condemning her for allegedly being queerphobic, they leaned very hard into queerphobic stereotypes about how she's a danger, how she's, you know, threatening and too aggressive. The idea that queer people are especially trans women are predatorial is a very old really awful harmful stereotype and they leaned right the fuck into using it against her like how is that not queer phobic oh there's no way they didn't notice that i because it's a it's come up a lot recently in like the bathroom bill type discussions because that's what the anti-trans people use in their campaigns against it there's no fucking way that even like a baby brain lib does not know this stereotype it's not like an advanced level 5d cat girl programmer kind of thing like that you have to know stuff to know like if if you're like 12 you've heard this one before like it's they know what they're doing yeah, this person is harmful and dangerous and is going to corrupt our minds. Like, that's just a standard reactionary thing to say about artists from marginalized communities. And if you seriously engage in that against a marginalized artist, like, what what the fuck? I don't know if they know they're doing it or not, but it's pretty obvious from the sidelines. It's ugly. It's, it's ugly and hypocritical and... I think their idea is that since they didn't use the slur, that whatever they did doesn't count. Like, the most hall monitor version of sensitivity is the only one they, they're aware of. Right. The like, well, I didn't technically say it, so it's okay. Like, okay, but you kind of engaged in some pretty serious, like, transphobic dog whistles there when you went off, when you went after this woman. Doesn't that, 
kind of make you look at yourself for a minute? Like, no, no. Okay, cool. I think we can't really expect anything else from people when your ideology is based on the suppression of negative emotions. Now, this is what's really weird for me as a kid, this whole disc. This is what's really weird for me. As a child of the 90s, most of the 90s media that I grew up, grew up on was about how the 1950s sucked and how a big part of the reason they sucked was this intense desire to suppress anything uncomfortable, anything negative, anything too intense, anything too sexual, just this immense emotional repression that demands that people sort of project this image of pleasantness at all times and how spiritually suffocating it was, how psychologically damaging it was to live like that, how in the process of maintaining this, it ended up horrifically oppressing dissidents, oppressing women, oppressing queer people. Like the 1950s was the era of let's project this pleasantness, but it was also the era of fucking lobotomies, where if your kid was a little too grumpy, a little too grumpy or a little too queer or whatever, you'd fucking send your kid to a doctor to have an ice pick shoved into his brain. Like, this happened on a mass scale. It's an extension of the ideology. It's it's not like a contradiction at all. It's like the logical conclusion of enforced pleasantness is, well, we have to do brain surgery to make you someone we can put up with. And and so it's just bewildering for me as someone raised in, in that in so much media that was about that, to see a lot of people and allegedly people who have more of a liberal perspective wanting to return to that creatively. It's a lot of, the, there's this thing, honestly, the 50s had this vibe that like, like I'm, I'm, my grandparents are from England and the way they describe it feels a lot similar, honestly, like as a vibe. Huh. Especially during the Blitz, it's like, don't fucking feel a thing. Yikes. Like, it's like, they got, their, their solution was, we're going to be extra British to deal with the fact that, like, there are corpses in the street. <laughs> like, just don't, don't you fucking mention it. We all see it. Right. It's there. Just shut up and eat your rations that are bad. Right. And I can kind of understand turning that, turning to that in a situation where you, what else can you do, you know, where that's the only way to, like, keep any semblance of sanity, but I feel like... We are still in an era where there is still the potential for meaningful, worthwhile change. And I don't think that escaping into happy fantasy land is constructive toward getting us there. I mean, my critique is going to be a lot more on the craft level, where I just think these guys are making dog shit art. Like, even before the, the, the stuff where you're, that you're saying, which is all correct, I'm like, this is not producing good art. I mean, when you decide, like... I'm not going to explore the full spectrum of human emotion and human experience. How are you going to come up with really beautiful art? I mean, the sublime is joyful, but it's also terrifying. There, there's a reason why in old legends, when you could not look directly at God, you could not look directly at a God, it would kill you because it's too fucking much. There's a reason why God appears to people in the form of an angel or a burning bush. It's because looking at something that sublime will annihilate you. And when you only want, like, overwhelming happiness and you're not willing to explore overwhelming terror, you miss out on so much of what it means to be human. When you slot all emotions, all art into two categories, you either have grimdark or you have hope punk. You leave no fucking room for nuance or the complexity of human experience. You leave no room for the sublime and you leave no room for really interesting art. Honestly, it's one of those things that doesn't get talked about with World War II much. The Nazis fucking did a version of this. Like, I hate to compare these guys to Nazis. Oh, a little. 
but <laughs> like it's it's a little hyperbole but yeah no like the degenerate art was all the fun shit yeah the, the degenerate art was the cool shit it was weird and grumpy and gay and, and wild and where the jazz was yeah which it can get a little if you've ever listened to bad jazz you'll know what i'm talking about but like to ban all of it in favor of mm. like boring teutonic nonsense like you're not replacing it with anything better yeah like wagner gets a little tired after a few minutes and that is a, a tendency of repressive societies, of repressing any negativity in art. Like, even in the United States during the Hayes Code era, for a period of, what, like 30 years in film, there was this censorship decency code that banned sexuality. And one of the things that it banned was unhappy endings, where the bad guys win. Oh, man. Do you know how long the comics code took to fully go away, by the way? Like, this is... Oh, God. Ages. Do you, want to, do you want to hear the number? Do you want to hear how bad it is? Ten years ago no. is when it finally disappeared. Wow. Like, DC stopped doing it at the end. Holy I shit. I think it was either them or, or Archie who dropped it last in, like, 2011. It took that long for it to go away. <laughs> Completely. And there's still a problem. Like, if yeah. everybody's like, why aren't there more gay superheroes? They were banned for over 30 years, you numb nuts. Learn your hit. Like, you know what I mean? I'm sorry to get a little mean about right. it, but it's like, it's just... <laughs> like I'm, I might be more sick of these guys than you are. <laughs> As a like, I make goofy stuff, but there's a certain amount of in order to entertain and delight, I do need to like occasionally touch stuff or like play jump rope with the line of good taste or any do anything interesting to make the the parts that are sublime. Right. Because like life is full of ups and downs, and frankly, usually a lot of parts that suck. But then there's that rare moment where you get a girl to sit on your face in French class. And it makes everything worth it. You can't really have the ups without downs. Like, if she was just always on your face, you wouldn't get your French classwork done. You can't. Yeah, like... You'd suffocate. You'd, you'd die a happy man, but still. You'd be, yeah, it's it's a good way to go. That's it's a good way to go. I'm going to leave it there. I don't, I don't want to make a, a, a joke in poor taste. <laughs> he died as he lived, smothered by a booty. Ugh. Legend. You need the you need the bad part. It, I I don't even necessarily agree with like sadness has to exist for happiness to or anything. It's just sort of a in a narrative like you need a variety of right. Like how do you escalate the story or take it anywhere if you don't change tone at all? I, I, there's this great bit in Donnie Darko when his teachers, his school, have all come up with this like weird motivational speaker system of like saying that everything negative comes from fear. And there's a scene where the teacher like puts this this line on the board and on one end is the word fear and the other end is the word love. 
And she gives people situations and they have to show where on the line that is. Like, where on, where on this one dimensional spectrum is this story? And he just starts flipping out and yelling, you can't put everything just that simple. You can't simplify everything. This is bullshit, man. And that's what I kind of think about. It's like, um, do you write Hope Punk or, or Grimdark? Like, I don't write either because... I'm an adult. The work that I do can't slot into these this fucking binary. In the same movie that has a lot of fucked up and fun shit happen in it that's just wild has a whole section where him and his boys debate whether Smurfs fuck. And it's a necessary part of it. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And, and I mean, it, there is a lot of sadness in it, but it's also oddly beautiful in ways. Even though it doesn't really have, like, a happy ending, exactly? Like, the whole, one of the things that makes it sad is, like, he did have a life that had to get give, got get given up for, for things to close. Right. Like, it's not just, oh, I'm a sad, miserable little nothing, so no one will miss me. Like, no, this kid has to die to stop that plane from crashing, because something, something, balancing the books. It's been a little while since I saw the movie, but... Right. Yeah, it's been a long time. That's just the scene I remember was where he's yelling at a teacher about, you can't call everything fear or love. There's more to life. There's also the whole, like, it's got it's got a lot of nuance. Like, the motivational speaker guy is a pedophile, so... Right, I remember that. I, 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 don't, I don't even want to compare that guy to the Hope Punks, but, like... Yeah, that's a little too much. And, and I mean, the guy in real life was at least being shitty to adult women, if you, if you remember what Tony Robbins was up to. Oh, of course. Uh, I think, allegedly. They, they, don't they all, don't, doesn't every guru turn out to be a huge creep to women? Yeah, no, that's like, you, it's... Like, the yoga guy, the big yoga guy turned out to be a huge rapist. Uh, it, it can, it's so amazing how petty it can get, but, like, how small of a pool you have to be in before some guy's, like, going mad with power because he's, like, the manager at a Wendy's. <laughs> right? But let's pivot it back. Um, whenever I see people talking about Hope Punk on social media, they post this one quote, this one fucking quote, and it's by Ursula Le Guin, and, it, and I'm going to read it verbatim. The trouble is that we have a bad habit, encouraged by pedants and sophisticates, of considering happiness as something rather stupid. Only pain is intellectual, only evil interesting. This is the treason of the artist. A refusal to admit the banality of evil and the terrible boredom of pain. So Hope Punk people love to post this quote in just basically as a way to say like, no, my my crappy happy stories are, are good. I'm going to point out um, that quote is from the ones who walk away from Omalas. In context, in context, oh, yeah, it's about the... how the people of Omalas maintain their happiness, not by this like pure hearted, simple ignorance, but instead that they maintain this happiness by a knowledgeable, intentional act of evil and cruelty. Like they know what's going on in their city. They're not stupid. They know that their city's beauty and grandeur is created by human misery. And this is a choice that they are consciously making. So what does it say then oh, when yeah, this is that's... the quote that you pull up to, to justify your ideology? Like, okay, that's... <laughs> the Hope Punks give off this vibe that if they lived in Omelas, they would be shoving more kids in the closet to try to make the city better. <laughs> Fuck. Goddamn. <laughs> I'm not happy enough. Put another kid in there. Shit, maybe that's why they don't want to close those baby jails. Are they trying to make Omelas real? Yeah. That's... <laughs> I guess so. Oh, that's that's real depressing. I'm sorry. 
Oh, God, that, that's a dark joke, but I think it's fair. I think it's fair. I'm also going to point out that in that quote, Le Guin uses the phrase, the banality of evil. And it really, again, it really bothers me that people will quote that out of context without picking up on the phrase banality of evil. It, the phrase banality of evil comes from Hannah Arendt, and she's describing the trial of Adolf Eichmann, one of the architects of the Holocaust. It's a very loaded phrase. When you hear the phrase, the banality of evil, it doesn't mean like, blah, 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 boring. It, it, it's referring to the Nazis. It's referring to the sort of boring, nonchalant way that societies commit and tolerate atrocities, which is what the people of Omelas are doing in the story. And I find it very disturbing that so many writers who believe that they have something smart to say about society will just completely miss this glaring fucking reference yeah, no, like, the whole point of that thing is that Eichmann has none of the flash of what you might expect from a Nazi, because some of them did have, like, really vibrant personalities or, like, really weird nicknames, like the hyena of Auschwitz, if you look her up, who deserved how she died. I'm gonna leave it at that. Like, it's... <laughs> anyway, the point is, like, he's a dork. Like, there's no flash, there's nothing special. There's, they, they, like, he's the most <laughs> Melvin of Melvins. And still a monster. Like, there's nothing you can try to point pin on him as, like, looking weird, being in any way unusual. The man is, like, a human bowl of tap water. And still. Like, there's no distance between him and, like, a normal guy who works at the post office. Is, I think, the point of that. Mm. But I, I'm a, it's been a while since I, I, I brushed up on that part. Right. And a lot of it, too, is just how they carried out the these acts was with this, like, humdrum nonchalance, like, another day, you know, another dollar, just I'm going to work, gonna go to work at the murder factory, and that it wasn't with this, like, cackling movie villain sort of thing. It wasn't theatrical. A few of them were. Like, a few of them were. Most of them were. A lot of the, a lot of the Nazis are just, like, normie Melvin. Yeah, a lot of them were just like, well, time to go to work. That was it. That was just the banality of evil right there. And I, I just find it very startling that so many people, like, somehow will post a quote with that particular phrase and not really examine it or think about it. It's like, they're making this comparison that's usually, especially with 20th century writers, especially, like, right after, it's like, if they're making references to the 1940s, pay attention. They got something spicy to say. Like, that's, that's just... Yeah. It gets a little trite after a while, but when it lands, like with the Omelas thing, it lands. Right. Just, it, it, it kind of suggests that maybe they haven't read the story. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they did. Please don't, please don't quote stories out of context. It's four pages and easily findable. Don't quote stories out of context. God damn it. Like, we can put it in the episode description. Yeah, it's everywhere online for free. It's not hard. It's not hard to read. If you're going to, like, hold up Ursula Le Guin as an argument for, for your ideology, like, at least read her fucking work. Yeah. Okay. And she's great. Ugh. Yeah, she rules. Oh, she's amazing. Her stories are brilliant. Not only are they imaginative and, and instantly, like, referenceable, like, the lathe of heaven is such a great reference to have, but they're also just beautifully written. Oh, yeah, no, like, the, I, only, I only read that one, I think, and... I think a few quotes, like I'm, I'm behind on my Le Guin, but yeah, no, she writes real pretty. Yeah, it's just really, really wonderful prose, really well-crafted sentences, really eloquent. And it's not that easy to find that, unfortunately, really eloquent prose in, in 
people are going to get mad at me, but a lot of genre writers focus entirely on moving these plot forwards, these plots forward and sort of ignore sentence craft. And she did not. She had just wonderful prose. They're just beautifully written. Just a joy to read. I, I feel you a lot. Like, I try to make my prose fun in a particular kind of way. I don't, like, syncopation is this thing in music, and I'm trying to hit something like that in writing a little, where, like, I'll use a word in mm. in a way that's like, that's not technically correct, but it fit. Like, I'm trying to make people pay attention with, like, <laughs> hey, look at me, I did something weird. Like, I picked a word that I didn't need to because it sounds nice in this context. I, like, I don't think I'm at Le Guin's level at all or anything, but I, mm -hmm. I try to make it at least, like, enjoyably wacky because it fits tone. <laughs> I don't think many people are on Le Guin's level. Oh, my God. I would love to be on Le Guin's table. Yeah, she's the best. Like... <laughs> no shame in not being on her level. All right, I got lost for a second. But if when you're writing, generally, you got to be the best you. Like, find your thing. Like, I don't know if anybody else does what I do. Yeah. Like, I, I don't... Like, I'm actually asking if you've seen anybody who does right. it. Right. I don't, I, don't, I don't even know who to compare myself to. I don't know. Yeah, which helps. Doesn't really come to mind. Because it's a bit like, you got to stand out. Yeah, definitely. Let's, let's get back to Hope Punk and kind of talk about Hope Punk and liberalism. Ooh, this will be fun. Because you find over and over again, hope punk is not socialistic. Hope punks are not anarchists. Hope punks are not leftists. They are solidly liberal centrist. And something I noticed is that just about every single hope punk, and honestly, a really surprising number of like science fiction fantasy writers and editors, almost every SFF writer or editor I knew. Oh my. Was all about voting for Liz Warren in the primaries. Yes. So let's let's dissect that. They loved Liz Warren. And to me, that kind of sums it up in a, in a big way in that after the first primary race or two, it became evident that she wasn't going to win it. Nobody likes this. She's not going to make it. I'm sorry. This is for nobody else. She not just not enough people. She didn't have a chance. I'm sorry. And so if you're a fan of Warren, you kind of have two choices, I guess. You could rally behind another candidate, maybe the progressive candidate that actually had a chance of winning, like Bernie Sanders, or just do a symbolic protest vote. And most of them went for the symbolic protest vote, which... They were culturally trained for that. It was a thing that made them feel good. If we're being honest. But in the end, like, what materially did it do for us? It ended up giving the race to a candidate that I personally find really unsatisfying. And I think I think most people did. I've met, I've met very few people who actually like Joe Biden as a candidate. Every single person I know, centrists, liberals, were like, their, their vote, um, their election campaigning was basically like, yeah, I know... I don't, I'm not really excited about this either, but we got to vote for him, okay? It's so funny that... Like, that's what we ended up with. They, this strategy worked eventually. <laughs> this failed so many times. They took, it took them 20 years. It did, it did. To get that to work. You literally had to have the plague going on in order for this to work. You had to have an actual pandemic, which, which the other guy caught. I think if he hadn't actually caught coronavirus and went to the hospital, I think he might have won, to be honest. I don't think I, I'm going to be like it without Corona. He might have still lost. But like it's it's one of those things where like they tried and failed this. Yeah. Like in 2000, they did this in 2004. They did this. And in 2004, the one time they haven't since the new millennium, <laughs> like the two times they went with 
at least playing the game of offering you something fun, like legitimately like, oh, this guy's actually saying bad things are bad a little. Like he'll put he'll put on the hat. Yeah. This yeah, this this guy's actually offering change. Okay, yeah. And that one. It did end up Yeah, that one soundly. But the I know, look, he sucks. You just gotta vote for him anyway, message just like barely won one time because there was literally a pandemic going on. Like Ah And that's what the Warren campaign stuck us with. I'm sorry. <laughs> And what was weird was being lectured by these people about pragmatism. Like I heard so many people saying, no, I prefer Liz Warren to Bernie because I think Warren's a lot more pragmatic. Like she doesn't have a chance in hell in winning. How is that pragmatic? It's like the LARP of being a a homework person. I don't understand. Is what they like. they're, They're dorks. Like to a core... Like voting for voting for Liz Warren in the primaries was basically like voting for Jill Stein in 2016. It was this purely symbolic act. And that's fine if you want to say like, look, this is symbolic. But like to claim that it makes you a pragmatic person making a pragmatic choice is just not truthful to me. I'm sorry. I could at least probably you could probably at least buy some good weed from a Jill Stein voter. Like what do the Liz Warren people have to offer me? Yeah. Get get like a get like a nice Reiki session from a Jill Stein person, you know. Or like you could listen to some King Crimson or something with them, and just vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could vibe with a Jill Stein voter. I don't know. Liz Warren voters would. I I'm not sure. Like hall monitor energy. I'm sorry. I think they might have even liked that she did the race faking a little bit. Like none of them fucking moved after it came out. None of them. Like that's. Yeah. It's it's got to say something a little bit. Yeah, that was that was that was an unfortunate thing. That was pretty up- upsetting. Like, uh... like it's it's kind of even one of those things where you yeah. can tell who's performative because it's just yeah. Ooh. When you when you vote for the candidate who pulled a Rachel Dolezal for twenty years, that's a little. If you, it, I don't want to get too bogged down in this for an hour, but like, it's one of the things if you're voting for Democrats, if you ever have to, their LGBT records from any time when I was a minor are Ooh. bad, except for Bernie. And anytime you bring that up, right. they're like, yeah, cheating. yeah, he's the one guy who was like pro pro LGBTQ, like way before it was politically safe, before it was politically popular. Like he spent capital on it politically. He was the only one. Who else did? He went for it before it was like the safe choice, which to me says a hell of a lot. Like I don't even think he's flawless or anything, but just in comparison to the rest of what we're being offered, it's just no. Like I right. You know what I mean? It's like, he's too problematic, so I'm going to vote for the lady who pretended to be the Land of Lakes lady for like 30 years while being a Republican. Like, goddamn. I hope that wasn't a little... Right. While not really fighting for Native land rights either. Like, War Churchill at least fucking tried to help, like, in comparison. Right. Even fucking Bill Iron Eyes Cody at least, like, showed up to, to fucking activist events and, like, fundraised and shit. Or even, like, for direct reference, Rachel Dolezal was in the NAACP. The fuck did Liz Warren do? <sighs> but yeah, that that's kind of the... That's, to me, like, the embodiment of hope, punk. Like, you, you talk about hope, but this is who you vote for. This thing that doesn't have a fucking chance and is extremely problematic. Hope punk is like... Oh god, Hope Punk is thinking the Lincoln Project is really out there for us, that there are noble conservatives who are going to help us because they because the system is good and we're all deep down good inside. Oh, that's it. 
Hope Punk is the West Wing, where you win the battle, and by win I mean compromise every time, because even in your fantasies you just compromise by fact-checking and giving a good witty speech, and you never have to spill blood, and no one ever has to get hurt. I mean, the West Wing is not nearly as cuddly as people remember. Like, it's a really, even for 90s TV, like, very misogynistic program if you go back. It's like, oh my god, it's it's surprising a little. Yeah. Like, on South Park, the women could queef, and it would be funny. And on an Aaron Sorkin show, there you'd get, like, <laughs> 12 minutes of Bradley Whitford going off about how it's rude to queef in the press secretary office or something. <laughs> like, how it's disgusting, and, and you shouldn't do it, and how dare you. So, like, that's, for a comparison, a show that the other one in that equation, no one's idea of forward-looking. least lets women pass some front gas. <laughs> Aaron Sorkin won't let you do that because it's it's not civil. Right. It's unbecoming. Uh, speaking of the noble enemy thing, that has some real nasty origins in terms of modern political narratives. So after World War II, and even during this, this was a thing. This is what I'm about to mention. So there was this guy, people forget him a little bit nowadays. This one Nazi general, Erwin Rommel. Rommel? I'm trying to remember what his first name was. Erwin. Rommel, the desert fox. Just He gets talked about like he's this apolitical patriotic like all the shit you would say in nazi propaganda about a guy if you were trying to make him sound good but like without like they take the slurs out and then just start lionizing the dude as like this honorable chivalric almost heroic adversary like he's fucking char from mobile suit gundam <laughs> in reality this is a dude who like ordered multiple genocides uh, like he's involved in like a pogrom in benghazi that had like 67 people die like he gave an order to exterminate the, the jews in palestine once they took it i think to the einsatzgruppen <sighs> like he he was involved in like getting jewish slaves to build fortifications and death camps at which a bunch of them died like it's far from like not only he's a vile piece of shit not even just oh he's a nazi duh like among them pretty bad and he gets hailed as like the noble nazi like the uwu one like why though they they want this narrative that there's like something there <laughs> that they're not just these awful people like that there's something you can save it's the same thing as like the whole like you got to do de-radicalization as a first order approach idea where it's like this idea that everyone evil you even should try to save them that's not the problem mm. the problem is there are people they're gonna hurt who don't like nobody has genocide coming and it's just this unwillingness to deal with it's honestly like a really gross manifestation of, for lack of a better word, white privilege in a way where it's like the most privileged, mm. comfortable motherfuckers deciding to be evil for like career reasons, more or less. And then it's like this refusal to even confront it. it it's, it's one of the, the mo like the, the modern era's like first hope punk narratives. Like this Nazi general isn't isn't so bad, you guys. God damn. The, the only one I could see kind of lionizing was the dude who tried to blow Hitler up. Like, you know what? Good for that dude. That, that was a good... I'm sure he was a real piece of shit in real life, too. But, like, he did try to blow up Hitler, and I gotta give him credit for that. That was that was a solid... Uh, I turned, like, only Hitler could kill Hitler, apparently. I know. Damn. I, like, you know, it takes a Hitler to kill a Hitler or something. Like in the Zelda games where you can't kill Ganon, you've just gotta knock his magic back at him. Oh, yeah. That... You just gotta do that. Like when you're fighting the Phantom Ganon when he's on a horse, particularly, you got it. You, he's cool. It, yeah. yeah, yeah, that one's really cool. That's an honorable adversary, Ganon. 
Yeah, that scene rocks. Because he's a man who's sometimes a pig. He's a woman respecter because everyone else related to him is a lady. So you'd think. That's true. The one man born of like cool lesbian sand people. I, I can't respect him though for like wanting to leave the lady desert thief town. Why the fuck would you leave that? He's like, you already won, man. You're the one. You are the one man surrounded by beautiful women with swords. You have won. You are born on. You have what every man dreams of. You idiot. He's born on home plate and he wants more. And he wants to like be a magic pig wizard who rules the world. Like I get it. The cape looks cool, but. Dumb shit. Enjoy it. Enjoy having being surrounded by super hot girls. Why? Oh my god. That's how you know he's a bad guy. Because it's not enough. Like, he's got that bottomless, thir- like, it, he's kind of a capitalist in that way, because it's like this bottomless greed for more that can't be satisfied regardless of, like, being born in a position that, like, anyone else would be like, really, guy? This isn't enough for you? Yeah. Like, the food's a little scarce in the desert, but so? You got everything else. He's king. He'll have enough food. Whatever. He'll be fine. Ugh. Fool. Gosh. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Whoa, the lights are flickering in my apartment. That's not fun. I don't know what that is. Oh, no. Nah. So we should probably wrap this up in case I start getting a, a power outage. Any other things you want to talk about before we go? I mean, I, very briefly, I could probably get into like, how do you... Okay, we've told you why the Hope Punks are dumb. How do you make anything light and fun? Because mm. there's, I'll give like a couple of very brief yeah. examples of stuff that people can go look up. Generally, there's like... And there's more than two paths, but comedy is traditionally counterposed to tragedy as like the fun form where things are like bouncier and the endings are like farces end in a wedding because that's the happiest thing old time you guys could think of because like weddings back in the day were were fun, like wild right. and fun. And that's like a cool ending because like you got married or somebody will get married at the end of a farce traditionally if you're writing one of those. Like if you really want to go conventional wacky wackadoo comedy, someone gets married at the end is usually how that goes. But yeah, no, like watch some stand up comedy and especially something that's like older than 2012. There's a lot of the current era is a little bit. We're in a nadir. So you're going to want to look at. Yeah. If you want something old that holds up, the comedy of George Wallace is stands up really well. He's so good. Yeah. I, He's great. I don't know if you you knew about him before I, I showed him to you, but I did not. But yeah, yeah, his his stand up from the nineteen eighties still holds up really well. Like he has this line about I've been in the game for like forty three years and I'm still new because nobody knows about him, even though he's been around. Like he's in Scrubs. <laughs> yeah, like he's everywhere. Like once you know what, well, huh. once you've seen him, you're like, oh, he's actually in a lot of stuff, in a scene or two, in a lot of things, and he's really good whenever he's in something too. Oh, he's so good. He's still good. Yeah, he's really funny. Like, like there's none of that older comic yeah, stuff. That, that is hard. That's got to be hard to keep up humor for 40 fucking years. He's so good. Or, and even there's a lot of other, like, just... And, you got, and then for the purposes of complete study, you're going to have to watch some bad comedy, too. It's just context. Or, like, they'll have a bit that works, but it's not... It helps to not always study just the great parts. Or on the thing... I think the Hope Punks are trying to recreate, like, Sanrio mm-hmm. as a vibe. Hmm. Like, they really want to somehow figure out how to make their Hello Kitty, but they don't... (laughs) Like, Hello Kitty has a somewhat diverse array of characters within its cutesy context. Like, when I was a kid, I was big into Pachaco, because he was kind of like anime Snoopy, so I liked his his look. I like Batsmaru. He's okay. Oh, my best friend had the Batsmaru wallet, and I had the Pachaco wallet. And I also had a lot of Karapi stuff. Yeah, Batsmaru's cool. He looks a little grumpy. I like that. Yeah! He's got a little bit of an attitude. I also really like Karapi. That was my boy. Like him and Pachaco are like the top tier for me. <laughs>
Like Bots is pretty good, but I like those like the frog and the dog are, are the are the best ones. And and one of those things that like Hello Kitty has a girlfriend. I don't know if everybody knows that. I did not know that. I forget what her name is, but yeah, her girlfriend is like a he him lesbian. Is one of those things that not people don't know. Wow. Yeah, I think I think her name is Daniel. Like they just they they just like they they kind of it's like Daniel is a little girl, and they kind of just they're doing that in a way that's just very yeah. It's one of those things not a lot of people know. Huh. I did not. I did not know that. That's a little treat at the end for any hope punk who sat through the whole thing. Like, it's the reward. (laughs) Yeah. Queer representation in Hello Kitty. Okay. So why don't we wrap it up? All right. Yeah, no, I got... Thank you for... Ah, Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, I do have some stuff to plug. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, please plug your work. Where can our listeners find your work? All right, so I did bring this up in the book club episode. I got that piece in Blood Knife called Hot Goblin Discourse that is out now so people can read it, which is about the nuances of goblin pornography. Nice. And what that says about society and whatnot. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Nice. And I also, a story of mine that I wrote in about four hours, early 20s, in my underpin for an, ah, Fuck, I'm blowing the line again. It was this, it was this like this anthology of horror of all things. And I tried to write a horror story in first person and it just, they didn't even get back to me because it's, it's, it's not so hot, but it, it turned, I, I don't know. I don't know what my opinion of this piece is myself, but <laughs> I, I'm going to have to edit so much of this, but I, I, I got, I got to I got to I got to name it. Okay. Well, we'll have to include links to, to where we can find these pieces in our description. I gotta name it real quick. That way there's some audio of it. Sorry about that. My story, Night of the Ostrich, is having a dramatic reading done on the YouTube channel Spooktacular Waifu. And that should be out by the time this episode drops. So if you want to see what my writing style looks like for fiction, it's in first person. Hmm. But it has all of the important oozly elements. It's got sassiness. There's a lady with a big butt. There's a jerk whose ideology is defeated. There's cartoon violence. It's got all the good stuff. It's called Night of the Ostrich. There's a dramatic reading going up on Spooktacular Waifu. It'll be pretty dope. Like, it's... Yeah. Nice. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on to talk about this very strange subject. I'm also on the Discord. (laughs) Yeah. And thank you. Yes. We talk about it a lot on the Discord, which you can join if you sign up. Oh, yeah. No, it's great. On Patreon. Or or if you just send us a message on Twitter and show us how cool you are, we'll, we'll also let you in. It's cool. We get it. Everybody's broke. That's all right. <laughs> but yeah, if, you, if you're a subscriber or if you're not, um, check out our Discord. It fucking rocks. It's great. It is a, commun- a community of writers who are also sickos. We talk about writing in a mature, goofy way. We, we talk about butts. It's a good time. It's the best. So yeah, join us. <laughs> so that's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, think about supporting us on Patreon. And be sure to join us next time, when we talk about dialogue. Until then, keep writing good. This has been Write Good with R.S. Benedict, hosted by R.S. Benedict and produced by Matt Healy for KS Media LLC, edited by Sid Oosley, theme song by Surgery Head. This has been a Kitty Sneezes production. For comments and concerns, please write to us at writegood at kittysneezes.com. That is R-I-T-E-G-U-D at kittysneezes.com. If you'd like to support us, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash writegood. Kittysneezes.com in color. <laughs> <laughs>